Hello and welcome to another episode of Professors at Work, the weekly podcast from the American University of Beirut, where we talk to professors and research scholars about uh, the work that they're doing, what they're discovering, and what it means for the rest of us. I'm very pleased to have this week Professor Lada Nasruddin, tenured associate professor in the Nutrition and Food Sciences Department at the Faculty of Agriculture and Food Sciences. Dr. Nasruddin, thank you for being with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for hosting me. You bet. So tell us, I know you've done all kinds of research in nutrition and food sciences and family uh, issues and social issues. Uh, What's the main focus of the work you've been doing? And and why did you choose this uh, kind of research to do recently? Yes. So um, if you want um, a main theme I've been working on since I joined the AUB in 2007 was uh, the investigation in our uh, local context, which is uh, characterized by the nutrition transition. So investigating the burden of diet-related diseases, so these include obesity, diabetes, hypertension, uh, the metabolic syndrome, and uh, the association of these diseases and metabolic abnormalities uh, with dietary intakes and food consumption patterns. So okay. this is the, the big theme I've been, I've been working on. And, and the, really my, my journey, if you want, uh, in the investigation of diet and understanding what we eat uh, as a risk factor for disease has, uh, has started with my doctoral thesis, my doctoral training. So uh, I wanted to, um, to, to analyze you know, our food consumption patterns to try to identify maybe dietary risk factors and really Really, uh, there were no food consumption data that I could access. And wow. uh, this is how I started with my first uh, dietary survey that I have done as part of my doctoral thesis. Uh, at that moment, I worked on the population of Beirut, so an urban population, but it gave me the right training in, in assessing dietary habits and dietary intakes. And uh, and this is, this is really what has shaped my interest later on um, to continue working on diet as a risk factor for disease. Um, uh, again, if I want to just clarify one more thing, um, I mean, that my interest in that field also got strengthened because of the the data that uh, started to appear all around us. So if I want to give you the, the situation, for example, in Lebanon and what kills us in terms of mortality, uh, 83% of mortality at least is caused by these diseases. So really wow. what kills us is diet-related diseases. And diet as a risk factor for disease now has been ranked amongst the top, the, the top uh, two, the top three risk factors factors include diet uh, for disease, and these are not my numbers, these are the uh, numbers uh, published by the WHO, by the Institute for Health Metrics, when they uh, work on the global burden of disease. So this is how I started in this field, really. And uh, you're essentially looking at what do people eat, and uh, what diseases do they have, and see if the two link up. Yes. So, um, yeah, so I have uh, worked, first of all, a little bit independently on these two arms that you have just nicely uh, summarized. So I have worked on uh, characterizing the burden in the in the our communities in relation to to these chronic diseases. So uh, what is the burden of obesity? Uh, What is the burden of diabetes? 
uh, on one hand. And on the other hand, I worked on characterizing the diet. Is our diet a Mediterranean diet? Uh, is our diet shifting uh, from the traditional Lebanese to a, to a more westernized diet? And then uh, progressively, I worked on through, you know, through um, um, more surveys, if you want, to link these uh, these two components together. So we, we do like I did several national surveys with my colleagues and in these national surveys, we collect dietary data, we collect blood, we collect medical history, and we try to see if there is uh, really an association between uh, the diet that the population is eating and uh, uh, the prevalence of certain diseases. But um, uh, the 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 early work has really uh, contributed to shedding light, if you want, on, on the burden of disease, like I said. So, for example, um, based on a survey that uh, uh, we have done in 2009, we saw that 28% uh, of Lebanese adults are actually obese. Wow. 18% uh, uh, of, uh, of uh, Lebanese living in Beirut, 18% are diabetics. That's a huge figure. And 36% of, uh, again, urban adults uh, have, hypertens ha have hypertension. Wow. And uh, when, when you look uh, not only at the burden, but you look at the trend, the trend over time and have the, how this has been evolving, and suddenly you see that compared, for example, to 97, to 1997, obesity in adults was then uh, around 17%. It mm -hmm. became 28% in 2009. Wow. And, um, more alarming was the, the observed increase we saw in, in children and adolescents, whereby obesity increased from 7% in 1997 to 11% in, in 2009. Wow. So this is an alarming uh, trend. And then we were able, uh, we can talk a, a little bit more about this in a while if you want. We were able to establish really clear associations uh, with certain uh, dietary patterns and certain, if you want, uh, nutrient intakes, etc. And um, once you discover this uh, situation and you have a clear linkage between uh, dietary intake and the prevalence of these uh, disease conditions, uh, what do you do with that? Do you go to try to educate families? Do you go to the Ministry of Health? Do you tell the media to... Uh, alert people? How do you uh, take action to improve the situation? Or is that not is that not really part of your responsibility? So, um, yeah, this is, if you want, it is part of my responsibility. I think all of our uh, research findings should eventually lead, lead to some translation in terms of uh, policy development and policy implementation. So uh, I, I am not uh, a policy scientist, but at least I, uh, you know, I, I contribute and I participate in several, uh, this type of participatory meetings where they need, you know, data to help them in developing the policy in shaping the interventions. I always do that with the other colleagues who need uh, data on the matter. Uh, and I have tried several times with the, um, either the Ministry of Health, for example, with the Ministry of Health, we took a lot of our data, you know, that came from uh, the description of the diet and the link with the disease. And we developed um, together with colleagues at the department, the first food-based dietary guidelines uh, for Lebanon 
on, uh, which gives you very simple, if you want, uh, information. On it's a bit similar to the dietary guidelines for Americans, if you've heard of them. Mm-hmm. I know so them. So it gives yeah. you, yeah, it gives you simple information that are uh, friendly and that you know does not uh, include all the jargon of our science, but uh, that helps you and helps the population to adopt uh, healthier uh, dietary habits. And this has been adopted by the Ministry of Health as a as a document uh, for nutrition education and awareness. Well, but I have to admit that more could have been done akid with the with the with policy workers but this is not uh, always you know um our fault as scientists it's also related maybe to the um many challenges uh, in lebanon uh, health and nutrition not being uh, always on the on the national agenda as a priority um and more should be done definitely in this respect Mm. Is uh, is uh, the causes of this situation? Is this uh, a natural evolution where people start uh, losing their traditional diets and and go more towards Western one, or is this partly a consequence of the intense marketing and the consumer society and the and the neoliberal uh, economic trends, where it's a lot easier to just go buy a box of extra sweet Cheerios uh, uh, than to uh, have uh, Halloum and zatar and uh, bando and tomatoes for breakfast or something like that. Absolutely. So this is actually uh, the phenomenon you're talking about is uh, labeled as the nutrition transition. And uh, this is where we are now. Lebanon is actually undergoing the nutrition transition and not only Lebanon, but several other countries in the Eastern uh, Mediterranean region, whereby for several reasons that include, of course, marketing uh, is one of them, the penetration of these, you know, uh, multinationals in, in, the, in the markets of uh, low and middle, uh, middle income countries, uh, the globalization, uh, the industrialization, uh, the urbanization all of these, the economic development, all of these uh, together have led to changes in the food supply. And uh, changes in the food supply paralleled also by changes in the lifestyle whereby, you know, um, uh, 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 getting food is not labor intensive anymore. It's very easy. It's it's very cheap to get these uh, processed foods. Uh, And really countries like low and middle income countries uh, are mushrooming in in the fast food outlets, in in having these uh, uh, ultra processed foods that are readily available in the market and this causes this change in food consumption so this availability and easy access to food uh, will will change the way uh, the way we eat and and this has been shown and it is described as the phenomenon of uh, nutrition transition what is more worrisome about uh, this phenomenon is that the age group that is particularly vulnerable to it um, includes the younger ones Uh, So the young adults, but also uh, the children and adolescents who would like maybe to be cool, to be to try these fashionable foods. And this is also not I'm not talking about speculation. I'm talking about findings stemming from uh, our own research. So we again, by using uh, data coming from two national surveys, one in 97 and the other in 2009, we were able to uh, clearly 
really describe the shift in the diet of the Lebanese population. So we clearly saw a decrease, for example, in the consumption of fruits and vegetables, um, an increase in the consumption of uh, red meat, uh, particularly cured meat, processed meat, an increase in soft drinks and sweeteners, Mm -hmm. which are all characteristic of that uh, of that uh, nutrition transition phenomenon. And then we did another way to analyze the data, not only looking at food groups, if you want, but looking at uh, the overall pattern. So, uh, for example, when I say pattern, you, uh, the famous pattern you might have heard of is the Mediterranean dietary pattern. Right. So, yeah, in one of our research, we were able to show that the Lebanese diet is actually a very variant of the Mediterranean diet. It holds as a traditional diet. Mm -hmm. It holds many characteristics of the traditional diet. But we also saw, again, by analyzing data from these two surveys, that adherence to that a traditional pattern uh, is is decreasing over time and particularly amongst uh, adolescents when you know they, they try to start uh, buying their own food choosing to eat out instead of at home and this is resulting in that significant uh, increase and I have to be a little bit more careful when I say is resulting it's probably resulting mm -hmm. or probably contributing to the increase in uh, in obesity uh, that we are seeing nowadays in this age group yeah uh, does this have anything also to do with uh, uh, family patterns for instance more women uh, working outside the home yeah, yeah. Uh, things like that yeah, so um, again, uh, we did analyze uh, this type of research question. So what are the other socioeconomic or sociodemographic predictors of obesity in children in our society? And uh, actually, um, uh, maternal employment was not a significant predictor. Wow. Uh, maternal education was. So the more educated the mother was, the lower was the risk for pediatric obesity, but not not uh, maternal obesity, not maternal employment. And actually something very peculiar to our society that appeared in these studies is that the presence of a paid helper at home was an independent significant predictor of childhood obesity. So no matter what we have adjusted for as other variables, mm -hmm. the presence of the paid helper uh, who probably is taking care, you know, you know that in our societies, the feeding responsibility is many times delegated to helpers instead of, right. you know, and this is probably, you know, um, um, not resulting always in the best um, dietary practices of course, uh, yeah. at home. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so I should apologize for my uh, uh, sexist assumption that uh, if more women are working, therefore the food. Uh, you know, no, no. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> yeah. of course. I always, yeah. I always get this question. Yeah. I'm, I'm very relieved with the with the results that we found. No, that's good. Um, so the uh, result of all this, when you do this research, if you identify pretty well the reasons for it and the trends and the patterns, um, how have you found people can actually uh, be aware of this and change their eating habits a little bit or enough to reduce the disease risk? Yeah. 
So um, again, changing people's habits is not very easy. We, we know that uh, not directly from my own research, I do little interventions, but uh, I mean, from the literature, we know that it's not that easy. But I mean, counseling and doing some education will help definitely, but this has to be supported by the creation of an enabling environment, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the development and implementation of nutrition policies, public health nutrition policies that should support the individual in making uh, better choices. Um, and um, this is this is really one of the ways maybe uh, for us to reach and and, uh, and and have better diets in our population together with uh, disseminating proper knowledge, proper information. Um, and we have now, uh, again, building on, um, on uh, a research project that we have just finished, whereby we were actually following um, pregnant women over time in Lebanon, so throughout their pregnancy and uh, until their babies were two years old. And we, we started to see a little bit again the dietary risk factors that uh, these women uh, are exposed to and are exposing their children to. And wow. based on the data we have, uh, um, we have uh, found, we uh, just uh, you know, published uh, the first, if you want, dietary guidelines for pregnant women in Lebanon and uh, and the Eastern Mediterranean region. So trying to identify okay. the nutrition priorities. And uh, I cannot really emphasize enough uh, the importance of uh, not only nutrition during pregnancy for women, where we have identified several unhealthy dietary practices like high sugar, high glycemic uh, uh, index diet, right. uh, high saturated fat. So this is a, a problem because uh, it will expose the child to uh, several changes in utero mm -hmm. uh, that will predict his life tra trajectory for life later on. Wow. So this is very important as an area for intervention. And the other is early life uh, feeding, uh, early life nutrition, yani the first two years of life, especially yes. the postnatal period uh, that actually, yani we know again from scientific studies that it shapes, it shapes through epigenetic changes, it shapes the trajectory, the health trajectory of the child for life and you know wow. you, you program it's like you're coding that baby and increasing his risk to develop certain diseases and again the data here came um to be uh, very disappointing from a national survey that we have done we saw that we had very little exclusive breastfeeding like only 12 percent of lebanese mom exclusively breastfed their babies for six months based on the recommendation and the dietary diversity of the, yani the proportion of children meeting the minimum dietary diversity, which uh, should be conducive to health, mm -hmm. was also low, close to 37%. Wow. So again, is, a very important area for intervention. Are, are these uh, trends, this, this kind of data, is this common for the whole region or the whole world, or is Lebanon particularly bad or better than other places? Um, it, in terms of exclusive breastfeeding, we are worse than other countries in the region. Uh, we are close, closer to westernized, uh, if you want, uh, data, uh, data coming oh. from Western countries. Okay. Uh, in terms of uh, dietary diversity, uh, we are lower than Western uh, uh, countries 
a little bit better than uh, other countries in the region. But unfortunately, I am very worried about the current crisis that Lebanon is going through and how this would further affect the dietary diversity uh, of young children. So when I say you know, the minimum dietary diversity yani per day, they have to be eating foods coming from at least five different food groups five out of eight yes and of course, diversity given the crisis we are in might be also um negatively affected we don't have data yet and i wish i could actually do some kind of a, a survey on this to to try to understand uh, how the, the diet of these young children uh, has changed compared to the survey I have done in 2013. Wow. We've uh, just about run out of time. Lada, one last question. What's your next immediate priority in this field in terms of research? Um, this is exactly where I want to continue working. I want to continue working on early life nutrition and specifically try now to see if within the first two years of life, the diets of children have been negatively affected given the current uh, crisis. Wow, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much uh, for being with us and for the great work you and your colleagues are doing. Our guest has been Professor Lara Nasruddin uh, from the uh, nutrition and Food Sciences Department of the Faculty of Agriculture and Food Sciences. She's a tenured associate professor. Uh, thank you, Lara, for being with us. Thank you, Rami. Thank you. It you was bet. a pleasure. And thanks to the audience for listening in. I'm your host, Rami Khoury. Join me again next week for another episode of Professors at Work. Bye for now. <laughs>